This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 25th of August 2021 at home in Wicklow on my father's birthday. Happy birthday, my father. That's Louis, to those in the know. And the episode is basically a deepish dive into nostalgia. Nostalgia and why we go there. The effect of nostalgia, the the lure of nostalgia. And I try to scratch at the underpinning drive that pushes us towards that place in our memory and in our consciousness. So there's a larger discussion around ideas of loss and grief and regret uh, in relation to youth and the passage of time. And along the way, I scatter about uh, some 80s movies, movies from my childhood and my adolescence. And I try to look at the the point of departure from childhood to adulthood and how that fits into the the mix into the nostalgia mix so that's uh that's what's coming up there's also some squirrels some squirrels some live action squirrels these are unofficial members of the production team and a few asides about the hollywoodification of autism as a response to one of the movies that comes up i'm sure you can guess which one i might be referring to so there you go that's what's coming your way i hope you enjoy it and i will see you there boom baby hi my name is dara clear and you're listening to the clear out how is she cutting how's she cutting how's it going today how has your recent time been the time between now and then (laughs) i think that's going to be the theme of today's episode now and then get ready for some reflections and inquiries and leanings into nostalgia and the past and the sense of loss and regret that shouldn't that, that shouldn't sound bleak that, that that should sound okay for some reason i'm um, i'm caught up in this space at the moment however i'll i'll get to that in due course um really i just wanted to say it's a it's a beautiful day here a beautiful day in hashtag blessed i just spent a vampiric hour and a bit recording some material for the for the meditation app the meditation and wellness app aura feel your aura um and i decided to to close the curtains in my my little room here where i record and it it got cold it was just it just felt dark and cold and I just stepped out there for a breath of fresh air before I sat down to record this. And I was like, hell, it's warm outside. The sun is shining. There's a warm breeze. And 
I said, I'm going to go back into that that little recording room and open up those curtains and to hell with the consequences. I am mere metres from the road. There's a little country road just outside the garden that I'm looking at. And it can be quite busy and you will hear, if you listen carefully, the occasional rumble of a car or something larger. A tractor, perhaps, or a truck. A lorry, as some people like to call them. Look, a lorry. Anyway, uh, I need to see that sunshine. The sun is good for your head and for your soul at times. Don't, don't stay in the dark. I just found myself wondering, you know, some people... Now, I'm not talking about people who who work night shifts. That's a different thing, okay, before before anyone gets sensitive and starts clutching their pearls. But some people choose. They choose to, to sleep through the day. That's a choice. And I'm not going to cast any nasturtiums um, about why they make that choice. I'm not going to go into any, you know, any mental health inquiries here. But... Let's just say someone who has no <laughs> other excuse other than I want to stay in bed. Uh, I want to stay up late and sleep through the morning. I mean, hell, you're missing out. Sorry, sorry to sorry to get judgy, but you're missing out. And at this time of year in Ireland, you know, you can't help but feel those colder days and nights are really not that far away. We're about to knock into September. Typically quite a reliable month weather-wise, as in you can rely on good weather. But um, yeah, the the, the nights start to get cold and it's amazing that last few months of the year, how quickly they can come in and yeah, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say the C word, the C word. I think you know the word I'm talking about when I talk about the end of the year. I'm just not going to say it, okay? Because it's bloody August. Everyone chill the bones. Chill the bones. Um, Yes, so anyway, I was recording some material there for this meditation app. And I've been experimenting with uh, with deviating from original material. I have written several stories for the app. Sleep stories, that kind of territory. Um, I've done a few reflections, a couple of meditations. But I decided recently, because I've seen others do it, to to record a couple of sh- of of, <laughs> of speeches of speak <laughs> of Shakespearean speeches, speeches from Shakespeare, which I I put up. I did uh, a speech from the Merchant of Venice, uh, Portia's famous speech about the the quality of mercy is not strained, and I also did um, Polonius's famous speech where he gives advice to his departing son Laertes in Hamlet which can either be known as neither a borrower nor a lender be but sometimes known as to thine own self be true and that has performed quite well on the app anyway uh, further further along those lines I decided to put up some more poetry on the app and I was just reading through some uh, of John O'Donoghue's writings John O'Donoghue famously wrote Anam Cara that exploration of Celtic spirituality. Um, I've only ever dipped in and out. I've never read it cover to cover, but I always find things that I like. And I just recorded four Celtic blessings um, from that book. And I also recorded um, some poems, some 
I want to say nine eleven poems. It's funny nine eleven is on my mind just because of that that anniversary coming up, which I referred to in the last episode. But I have a I have a wonderful book of New York poems, a little hardback, a beautiful hardback edition, pocket pocket poets. It's at the Everyman's Library Pocket Poetry or something like that, and the book is simply called Poems of New York. Um, I'm just checking it there. It's a really lovely edition and has wonderful poems about New York. But I just dipped in there and found a number. I only I recorded three of them. There were there were more, but three poems specifically related to the World Trade Center, which just felt kind of poignant and apt, and um, yeah, just sort of nicely. It's not it's not so much that I want to. It's not so much I want to identify um, a desire to commemorate, but. I think the expression of grief is so important. The expression of grief is, it's just one of the most powerful, useful, healing things we can, we can do, uh, you know, whether to express it ourselves or to hear another's expression of grief. And of course, writers um, and poets and maybe songwriters are particularly good at uh, capturing um those those emotions and trying to to find that reduced concentrated expression of grief um and to capture it in a few words or to capture it in a an, in an image or in a phrase or in a musical phrase of course music can be can bypass the need for words and access or stimulate something uh yeah that 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 it reaches a different part of the brain i I should really interview my wife and get her to talk about that it's it's very much her area being a music therapist and all that um however this is this is not the moment this is not the moment for that interview um yeah so there you go anyway i as I said at the start of the at the start of the episode, I I'm kind of in the mood to to reflect on to reflect on then and now, the present and the past, and our relationship with the past and the things that we find the things that we find um, provocative, um, the things that spike our nostalgia impulse um because i i found i found myself in that place just recently last weekend i sat down on friday night it must have been and watched the 2009 film adventureland adventureland which was written and directed by greg matola or matola matola i'm sure who also directed Superbad, which was a 2007 um, hilarious kind of, not a coming-of-age comedy as such, but um, uh, Superbad was about a couple of best pals finishing high school and their last summer of fun. And really it was just a, one of, a day in that last summer of fun and their sort of fraying fracturing friendship as they confronted the reality of the next move in life and how they'd be going to different 
colleges and just two young guys trying to you know get laid fundamentally and have that big moment and uh, it's a very funny silly film but tapped into something very true about male friendship uh, at that particular stage of life that sort of 17 18 end of end of high school end of secondary education getting ready to step out into a more adult world uh, but in any case that writer and director followed it up a couple of a couple of years later with Adventureland which was set in 1987 and a very similar time of life for the main characters about to head off to college um, and it focused on a very a very uh, particularly brainy young man who because of his father's ill fortune um, a victim of Reaganomics he found himself demoted and with far less money and so suddenly the son instead of swanning around Europe for the summer finds himself having to go and work in the local the local what carnival funfair carnival suggests a big top and tent so no like I guess funfair amusement park um, which gives the name its film Adventureland and Jesse Eisenberg plays the young man the young the young lead and ultimately he finds himself in a relationship with Kristen Stewart who uh yeah was just a revelation actually I, I mean obviously from 2009 so 13 years ago um I haven't seen a lot of her work in the intervening years I've read I, I gather she's done very well in a lot of non-twilight movies she is, of course, the uh, the heroine of the Twilight movies. Bella, is her name? Bella Swan? I watched the first one of those, probably around the time it came out, which, which was a similar time. I think I might have watched it on the airplane that took us to Australia when we moved out there in 2010. And I remember watching the movie. And, you know, there was no... At that point, I, I hadn't tapped into any massive hype around the movie i just watched it kind of absent-mindedly on the plane and thought yeah that's fine um didn't think much about it really um obviously it became what it became subsequently i haven't seen i never watched any other of those movies i've never read any of the books i never fell in love with um with your man what was his name was he edward <laughs> james pattinson um yeah, as the moody, broody vampire. Um, like when I came out, when I came out of my darkened room moments ago, I didn't look like him. I just looked, you know, like a blinking middle-aged, red-haired Egypt, um, stumbling into the bright garden for, you know, gasping desperately at the fresh air. Uh, but in any case, uh, yeah, Kristen Stewart was just lovely just lovely in this role like just a really pained um you know a very pained sympathetic performance of a a young woman who's just having a hell of a time and dealing with some real crap in her life and yeah just i don't know she just tapped into something very true and relatable and lovely um and it was really nice really nice to see it um yeah, but anyway, overall though, the movie, I found myself just caught up in that sort of bittersweet um, remembering of 
that time in your life that that, that very heady time you're you know you're in your late teens and you know <laughs> that that ability to just fall desperately in love <laughs> i mean I, I was thinking about it i mean that that um that movie as i say was set in 1987 and i remember like in 1990 i was an american i remember going to one of those amusement parks with the with the guys i was hanging out with so i i, I just kind of I found myself remembering being there. Now I was younger, of course. Then what? Nineteen ninety. I was sixteen. Um, so not quite the same. It's 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 just different. It's different. That that there's a shift. There is a shift that happens. Mid teens to later teens. There is a shift, and I wasn't there yet in nineteen ninety. But um, in that movie, Adventureland, I did find myself kind of wallowing somewhat. And wallowing in the eighties, and looking at the the styles, and listening to the uh, the soundtrack, the 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 various eighties hits, um, yeah, needle the needle drops as they call them, um, some choice some choice numbers. Rock me Amadeus for some reason uh, sticks out. Um, not a favorite song of the characters in the movie, but. I did find myself afterwards just thinking, thinking about like that thing. What is it? What is it about that that age? That that I suppose it's a it's a it's a threshold, isn't it? It's you're on the cusp of of learning. You're on the cusp of deepening your understanding of the world and of yourself. You're finally closing the door on childhood and opening that first door into adulthood into independent exploration and I suppose opening yourself up to vulnerability and opening yourself up to being susceptible to your own rolling of the dice um, being vulnerable to your own rolling of the dice and not I don't know I mean I I I don't know what your experience was, who you sought advice from, who you clung to, who you were trying to escape, what tools you brought to start to try and shape your own world. Um, Because if you're anything like me, you're clueless, (laughs) utterly clueless. That didn't change. That didn't change for quite a few years. Um, There's a sort of a, a blind lostness. I that was certainly my experience. Um, I mean, I wasn't flailing around, but there's something about the disconnect between your internal life and your external movement at that young age, and they they often bear very little relation to each other. So I suppose that that notion harks back a little bit to last week's episode discussing the power of internal landscapes but maybe it's never more the difference is perhaps never more acute never more stark than when you're a very young a very young adult or an emerging adult i mean not in the true adolescent sense the teenager sense but just that yeah that time when you're making your first forays into 
into the world of into the world of work into the world of independence into the world of sex into the world of relationships um yeah you're 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 truly <laughs> truly cast adrift on a tempestuous sea with very little very little training no navigational equipment and some vessel what's what's the correct type of vessel to think of here is it a dinghy is it a leaky rowboat on a storm-tossed sea is it is it a raft that you're desperately clinging to um is it a rubber <laughs> is it a is it a rubber ducky one of those one of those inflatable rubber duckies that you can plonk yourself into the middle of we had one of those here this summer and hashtag blessed it, except it wasn't a ducky it was a it was a uh, a donut a a besprinkled donut and that is what we threw into our little stream here our little icy cold stream at hashtag blessed um yeah so so there you go that's the that's really the the opening gambit for this this uh this this reflection this interrogation and i I found myself thinking just going back to this idea of the the vulnerability we experience can can experience so acutely um at a young age and maybe what it speaks to is i don't know it's like it's like it's like your childhood is the the catapult the catapult that fires you fires you like a missile into adulthood before you're ready maybe like one of those old roman catapults the, the 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 large military equipment the large military machinery uh those catapults that would fire enormous boulders and it's like you're just sort of helped up into that it's almost like a large spoon um with the with the, the 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 concave recess that can take you and you're told just hop up there for a second and you're like what's going on <laughs> and you're like do you see do you see over there way way over there above those hills and you go yeah yeah that's adulthood and we're sending you there right now and you're like what and they're like fire <laughs> and that's that's how it begins it's not really a carefully carefully gently gently process is it um you're just you're just there flying flying through the air okay i've gone from the sea to the air that's how i roll okay deal with it um but i wonder if there's if there's a relationship between that moment that and and i'm not going to use the word trauma at all because you know for me it wasn't traumatic it was exhilarating it was exciting i couldn't wait i couldn't wait to to escape i suppose i couldn't wait to yeah get out there and start experiencing the world by myself um now for me it wasn't a big adventure it was just uh, off i went to university and did my my undergraduate years and that's what it was but that was the beginning of it and on and on it's rolled ever since 
Um, but I wonder, nonetheless, if if you take that idea of being flung by childhood's catapult into adulthood, I wonder if that moment of release, that moment of ignition, of propulsion, of explosive trajectory, I wonder if at that moment, if you had the ability to articulate what is it that I don't have at this moment? Like, what is it that hasn't been formed? What is it that hasn't been planted or nurtured or nourished? Is that the thing that you head into adulthood craving most? So is your, enti- is, 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 is your entire adulthood built around a quest to fill in a gap is it built around a quest to find the thing that completes you to find the thing that answers the emptiness that answers the empty spaces in yourself um i'm just wondering i'm just wondering is that what it is because I kind of find myself now in at this point in my life, um, in my heading heading towards. I mean, <laughs> I'm past my mid forties, heading rapidly towards my late forties, and I'm just wondering if I'm still fundamentally defined internally, like my my internal driver, if if there's still this one thing that I'm trying to find the one thing that I want the most um and yeah I'm I'm having I'm having that conversation with myself um so clearly I'm you know apart from you know whatever else is going on in my life I'm I I I have I'm having this conversation with myself at the moment um as I negotiate certain difficulties or certain areas of my life and uh try to i don't know what what's the what's the what's the problem i mean it's not that i want to particularly go into that or share the issues but for me it's always a pursuit of clarity trying to kind of understand trying to understand myself better so i'm better equipped to deal with whatever else is going on and better better equipped to to relate more successfully and with greater sort of fulfillment um, and satisfaction with the people who are important to me um and i'm just wondering if you know i'm just trying to draw this connection you know between your early adulthood between one's early adulthood and what was not present then and if that is something that continues to be defining as you as you get older um and i suppose that that relationship that temporal relationship between where i am now and where i was then that's that's kind of what's playing on my mind and that's what's making me ask this this question between this question about then and now this question that fundamentally is speaking not just to 
maturation, not just to progress or to you know to 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 traveling along life's journey but also speaking to what we feel nostalgic for or what do we feel the loss of so nostalgia is a funny one isn't it i mean nostalgia is i mean for me i find it a little bit treacherous i'm always warily um i always regard it warily and i if if i do find myself being seduced somewhat by nostalgia in whatever form that might be i i regard it very carefully and with a certain amount of uh suspicion and distrust um because i really feel nostalgia it's um you know it's a very close bedfellow of uh, sentimentality and um it can just get a little bit too saccharine and schmaltzy in 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 one way or another but i'm more interested in what's true like what what is the true emotion that underpins nostalgia because fundamentally surely nostalgia is about the yearning for something that no longer exists and the the it's not it's like it's it's the present enjoyment of 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 past enjoyment i mean that that's that, that does that doesn't sound like a, a good way to express it but it's 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 the present savoring or the present um sorry the present longing or the present yeah i suppose that the present savoring the present longing of past pleasures um and of past maybe it's past innocence that's part of it i'm sure you know longing for the longing for the more innocent the more naive the the more open version of yourself perhaps i mean that's if you're if you're if you're thinking about yourself specifically and not just about the um you know what was on the what was on the cultural wallpaper at the time um if it's not just going back to remember certain songs or or movies that you know particularly moved you certain uh fashions certain items of clothing certain rituals certain ways of talking i mean all of that i mean that that's the that's the throwback isn't it that's the throwback that's when you watch a movie and it and it, it brings you back to that place and you go all right did i really sound like that um and strangely for us i mean strange i mean i'm, I'm gonna say us <laughs> us we irish people i mean in ireland you know we, we consumed a huge amount of american content we consumed a huge amount of american movies um i mean no different i guess to many other places in the world but you know the irish <laughs> the, the experience of growing up in ireland sure it couldn't have been it couldn't have been further from what was being depicted in uh american movies in the 70s and 80s uh that was you know certainly in the representation in the in the depiction of suburban american the suburban american experience of young american uh kids um 
that is not what was going on over here. Uh, like for me growing up, and I, I did touch on this before when I, when I spoke about my, my summer in America, <laughs> the summer in 90. Um, to me, America always represented color somehow. There was a vibrancy and, you know, tremendous, yeah, tremendous kind of cornucopia of bright, popping color that seemed to be entirely absent from Ireland. <laughs> uh, I mean, Ireland somehow seemed to, you know, the colors I think of are, you know, gray, rainy days, um, brown mud. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in the countryside now. Come on, I grew up in the countryside. Um, I think the most colorful thing that pops in my mind from my childhood is I had this I had this colourful striped suit, like a, a tracksuit, I guess. But yeah, with stripes, vertical, thin vertical stripes, red and yellow and green and white maybe. Um we refer to it as the zoot suit, which um I had no idea that that's really what was uh that was what was that was the word described used to describe what pimps wore wasn't it in the in the sort of 70s wasn't that a zoot suit the wildly colorful 70s style wildly flared um suits favored by uh um yeah guys on the street in in american cities in the 70s um and pimps i'm thinking so but there you go that was what was going on in my childhood the zoot suit the zoot suit and ernie from Sesame Street. Sesame Street, another memory from my childhood. Sesame Street was colourful and Ernie was my my chosen guy. He was my dude, Ernie. Um, there was something about Ernie that was endlessly appealing and relatable and that um, I, 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 I that perhaps hasn't changed. I, I, just, I just confessed on social media that Ernie is my spirit guide there's something about his um his cackling um his innocent silly cackle that's his laugh it's kind of a cackle no or maybe it's 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 not it hasn't it hasn't got enough sound to be a cackle but um i do like ernie ernie and his rubber duckies there's a connection with the rubber ducky because he has he doesn't he sing songs with his rubber ducky um, are you worried about me? Don't be worried about me. It's fine. I'm just, uh, I'm just going there. Um, but yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested in this, this, uh, this, this point of separation via cultural references. So, when does, like in your memory, when does your childhood end and post childhood begin? You know, when does your beyond childhood phase start because i sometimes find myself you know reading about movies or hearing people talk about movies or identifying the the and identifying the time of a movie like when it came out and that somehow belongs to an extended adulthood and prior to that that was very much childhood and when you see how how few years actually elapsed between one and the other i find that mind-blowing at times so 
for example, I was listening to I was listening to a podcast about Rain Man earlier today and I was recalling Rain Man being pretty a pretty big deal when it came out. It came out in nineteen eighty eight. I was fourteen and yeah, Rain Man, I remember, you know, it was a big deal at the time. And as a 14-year-old, I remember the talk was about Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman was uh, still in 1988, like, you know, his, his reputation was still very much up there as Dustin Hoffman is one of the big actors. He's one of the big heavyweight actors of, of his generation. Um, For, you know, probably for movies from a little bit earlier in his career um particularly the likes of midnight cowboy uh marathon man uh tootsie papillon um and of course it all started with the graduate uh where he was gosh he was in his 30s playing the teenage next door neighbor was he a teenager he was pretty young he was, the character was meant to be pretty young um, seduced by Mrs. Robinson, um, but in any case, by 1988, Dustin Hoffman, like you know, he was he was one of the big guys, and I remember all the talk was about him, and he, of course, was playing a character with a particular type of autism, and really, I suppose that's where the the Hollywoodification of autism began, where autism is rendered as. I mean, I, well, I think a lot of people got their understanding from autism, about autism from that movie. So basically, it was like, oh, if you're autistic, you're you're a mathematical genius. I mean, that was that was the shorthand. You know, you're not, you might not be good at making eye contact, you might not be good at expressing or having an emotional life, but my God, you're unbelievable at doing really hard maths, and that was it. You were like a an autistic savant. So basically. The focus was on your genius, not on what incapacitated you or what, you know, what we now understand to be neuroatypical. Um, so, or neuro non-typical, maybe I, miss, maybe I didn't uh, use the right word there. But in any case, that also, of course, led to, well, was part of this trend for um, actors taking on characters with disabilities, intellectual or physical disabilities, uh, as a way to garner, you know, the accolades and the plaudits. Um, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis had done it very successfully earlier in My Left Foot, for which he won the uh, the Oscar. Um, but in a way, and I'm going on a bit of digression here, but this that, that thing of, right, now you've got a lot of actors. I mean, Robert De Niro did it. Sean Penn was probably the the end of that when uh, he played uh, an adult with a you know an intellectual disability in I Am Sam, not a not a well loved movie, just way too sentimental. But that speaks back to what I was talking about um, in the episode where I spoke about casting, and I was referring to Supernova and Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci playing two uh, gay men in a relationship and how you know in the past that would have been lauded and that doesn't really happen anymore and that's like well why aren't there two gay actors playing those roles i did see that movie since um and it is it's it's very nice and some some lovely acting by the lads um 
overall i kind of wanted the movie to have a little bit more punch a little bit more emotional heft um it seemed to promise more than it delivered but you couldn't you couldn't fault the acting the acting was very good um but yeah in any case back to back to dustin rain man so i remember that was a big deal and saw the movie in the cinema with my mother i think um enjoyed it very much at the time now it's tom cruise who actually gets the credit gets the credit you know most critics now refer to tom cruise tom cruises as being the better performance the more agile performance he has the greater journey to go on than than hoffman but but look i'm getting off the point the point i wanted to make is that movie rain man the same year also had mississippi burning that was 88 um and frantic roman polanski's paris set um harrison ford led thriller and yeah that that time frame that was really when i was on the cusp um just that shift from starting to look at movies a bit more seriously um shifting out of childhood but not not quite there yet and and yet like it's interesting to reflect on the movies i'd been watching prior to that so really that the big childhood hits would have been the, the star wars trilogy and the the raiders of the lost ark uh the indiana jones movies i mean raiders was 1981 um return of the jedi 83 so in 81 i was seven probably saw that movie when i was eight i remember seeing it in london um and return of the jedi was 83 that was a big deal so i wasn't yet 10 and yeah very much very much the childhood movies you know these looking up and you know han solo harrison ford was my guy um and then a little bit later so mid 80s 84 85 you've got i remember one birthday we 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 rented out videos in my uh, my aunt and uncle's place and we got out witness harrison ford again uh beverly hills cop and the legend of billy jean <laughs> the legend of billy jean which starred helen slater who would have been only about 22 or 23 then and a young christian a young christian slater helen slater and christian slater what the hell they're not related though are they but they were related in the movie weren't they brother and sister and so i mean that came out in 85 i probably watched it in 86 it would have been 12 i guess oh my god i just remember having the biggest crush on on helen slater who of course went on to play uh supergirl and in the legend of billy jean she cut her hair short she was i I mean yeah i was just completely besotted it was ridiculous and that sort of you know you, you don't even have the the emotional equipment let alone the physical equipment to to negotiate what you're feeling there but it was just this like excruciating like ache of love and longing (laughs) oh man but i mean if you actually go back and look you know she she was i mean like many you know young women in their their early 20s uh she was she was beautiful um but 
it's interesting. Like, I mean, I can revisit those movies um, from the early 80s through to the mid to the late 80s. And they are somehow all, they're all sort of, uh, they all belong to my youth and my childhood. But then there's this, there's this kind of, you know, you find yourself thinking about movies from the, the, the early 90s. Um, I mean, I referred to Schindler's List last week. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking of Casino. I was thinking of Casino because I was thinking of Rain Man and Las Vegas movies. And Casino, I think, is 95. Um, so maybe, and Schindler's List might be 93. But it's amazing. They just feel like a different, they feel like they belong to a different time. There's a, there, there's a, a place that they are put in my memory that is part of a different a different consciousness and a different sensibility and that is that is something that i feel is palpable and yet those movies are really not that long after the likes of rain man i mean you're talking 5 to 6 to 7 years i mean it's really not a long period of time but somehow one category is adulthood and the other category is very much not that and i'm asking myself here as i speak is you know what what's that journey that the brain goes on or what's our what's our grasp of time what's our grasp of chronology um in terms of how we position ourselves in that in that narrative, in that narrative of cultural experience, I suppose. Oh, red squirrel. <laughs> I feel like the dog in, in, in Up, a beautiful red squirrel just sprinted across the garden outside. In broad daylight, the absolute neck of him, the nerve of him. Oh, is that the same one? Is there two of them? What the hell? a squirrel bonanza I think it is I think that's two because one that went by had a sort of a a yellowy tail and then the second one that came by there had a sort of a scruffy looking darker tail how amazing squirrels thank you squirrels thank you squirrels for blessing me with your presence this day I will never forget this moment Um, what the hell are they doing in my garden what aren't they doing in my garden is more the question. My God, I better step carefully. Anyway, there you go, the squirrels. Um, yeah, but look, it's it's an interesting thing, isn't it? The way we locate our memories and you know, staying in this area of cultural experience, whether that's movies or theatre or books or songs or whatever it might be, whatever your, your, your chosen thing or things are, um, how I think, oh, you know, through our adulthood, there's a sort of a, there's a, you know, broadly speaking, an, an assimilation of, of record and an assimilation of appreciation, um, apart from, I suppose, whatever your current 
if there's a, a current area of fascination or a current area that you're particularly interested in, I mean, that might hold center stage, so to speak. But but largely speaking, it all becomes one. And it's, yeah, it's, it, it, that, that separation is interesting to me um, because somehow we're, we're thinking differently. We're thinking differently, or I think differently about the, the earlier time. And I am interested in this, this idea then of, you know, the, the idea of how powerful nostalgia can be and whether or not it's, it's useful. Um, because I suppose if you find yourself leaning towards nostalgia, if you find yourself wallowing in the past and longing for it, yearning for it, wishing to reimmerse yourself in it, that to me suggests unhappiness and suggests that it speaks to the absence of something now. And I I don't know. I don't know if I I, I don't I don't know if I kind of value that no, it's not a, no, it's not that I don't value it. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I mean, that can be a very real thing, of course. I mean, that is to say, unhappiness. It's real, yeah? Unhappiness is something that you can experience. If you are experiencing unhappiness, perhaps you should watch an old episode of Scooby-Doo. Um, that's not really what I'm saying. Nostalgia can speak to something in us that we feel no longer exists. I think that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to get at. And I don't know then if that also speaks to if if nostalgia on on some level then is an expression of grief. You know, if it's an expression of loss. And then I wonder what what does it serve to to dwell in those places what in what way is it actually helping you um so i don't know and i mean it's 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 not the same it's not the same as enjoying things from the past particularly when we're talking about cultural artifacts um because personally i'm forever going back and looking at old movies and listening to old music and reading old books um that's not unusual, and I, I don't think I'm in any way exceptional in that regard. But that's a different thing. That's a different thing than to feeling a sense of regret or wistfulness or wishing that you were back in that time or, um, you know, experiencing um, experiencing a sort of a, a strange kind of a strange kind of pain and. A sort of a, a dissonance a type of cognitive dissonance i suppose where you're you crave being immersed in that time that milieu those sounds those smells um that's not the same as enjoying it i mean i think you can enjoy it and go yeah but here i am and it's 30 40 50 years later and grand you know no big deal um but there is, I think, there is something there, isn't there, about about loss, 
and sentiment um and that that to me it's 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 not it's not really something that i personally like to like to embrace um i mean my line of thinking is if i'm leaning in that direction i fear that i might be avoiding something that needs to be faced here and now um yeah so so i say that and yet in the same breath i'm admitting that i was stirred or provoked moved by a certain nostalgia captured by that movie adventureland and i wonder if that then is just a longing for like if we, if we talk about the sense of loss or the sentiment the loss is of the loss is of innocence the loss is of youth the sentiment is for romanticizing uh the this the romanticizing the the sense of possibility and romanticizing the the unsullied nature of who you were at that young age and romanticizing the sense of um your own your own potential to to experience life and for to romanticize the sense of so many new things uh to be discovered and that of course it's hard it's hard not to kind of go oh yeah that that was a nice thing to feel like oh cool there you know there are many many exciting things to come and perhaps that's the challenge as we as we get as we get older to to retain that sort of sense of positivity or to retain that sense of wonder or to retain the sense of there are good things still to come um and that is challenged by the the absence of simplicity that is challenged by the presence of complexity the com- the presence of difficulty the the presence of a much sort of you know a many nuanced life where the shades of the shades of gray can be can be overwhelming that there is no bright white sparkling clean canvas uh upon which to to paint your future there's a whole lot of paint <laughs> there's a, there's a whole lot of paint on the canvas and perhaps i you know i'm i'm just wondering i mean i i'm wondering if if that's why as we age um and i am actively i mean i actively try to to resist this i actively try to be mindful of this but the cliche of aging is that is that people get stuck the cliche of aging is that people they no longer want to hear new things new ideas new ways new everything new music <laughs> new 
new style you know it's just i hear enough is enough you know i I, i've been there i've done it there's nothing it's just it's 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 the same thing in a different form um and i suppose that's where we get the the french phrase plus a change um you know the more things change the more they stay the same um but again i'm asking myself is i'm asking myself if that calcification of opinion or the the you know the the, the cementing of opinion of, of of a cultural position um of a political position if all of that in a way becomes it just becomes a, a form of a form of laziness a form of laziness um that is that is informed by fear and the fear of being wrong the fear of not having sufficient energy to to you know to learn new things the fear of uh being accused of being obsolete redundant <laughs> you know i have to say, i have to say very quickly i'm not experiencing these things i don't i don't feel this for myself i'm talking in a very general sense about some perceptions of aging and some quite reductive perceptions of aging but perhaps that said perhaps we you know perhaps we've known people or know people who emulate some of those things um and i suppose the the point i'm trying to get to is that this 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 idea of nostalgia then and the idea of looking back you know looking back longingly looking back with the rose tinted glasses perhaps that's something that happens less if you haven't fixed your position so determinedly um perhaps if you invest in a sense that there's still life to be lived that there's still great possibility out there that there is vitality that there is color that there is you know that there are new and fulfilling um i'm hesitating at the word new that's what stopped me there i'm thinking new do i care about new (laughs) maybe i am maybe i am maybe i have got old it's not so much new i don't i don't i think it's it's not it's not new per se but it's 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 to maybe the challenge and the the positive way of thinking is to bring to try to not let your eyes become jaded that that's the hard one is it i mean i'm I'm asking i mean i i i really i i definitely try not to do to do that to try and look with fresh eyes and uh know to, to stop to stop and smell the squirrels <laughs> i wonder what a squirrel does smell like nutty maybe a little bit shitty who knows um yeah who knows i'm sure i'm sure squirrels would, would say nice things about me too have you ever heard of a heard of a shower don't judge me squirrels don't judge me i'm clean 
I swear, I use deodorant and shower gel and nice things in my hair. But look, I suppose I'm trying to draw a line here. Draw, sorry, draw a line from age and the passage of time and memory and consumption, what we've consumed in terms of our cultural diet, our pop cultural diet, which of course, that's only relevant for the time you grew up in, I suppose. I mean, whatever the pop, the relevant pop culture is to you. Um, And also then with that passage of time and the fixing of a position, the fixing of a particular palette, a cultural palette, but also a political palette and, you know, your one's entire outlook, the fixing of that position and the, 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 the running out of energy, I suppose, the, the sort of diminishing of that part of ourselves that is capable of continued interest of continued curiosity of that part of us that's able to be impressed by something new and the you know knocking at the door then is that that sort of fatigue or that that jaded quality i spoke about a moment ago the jaded eyes the the jaundiced look um I mean, jaundice, I mean, I suppose that makes it sound particularly negative. But that sort of humph, you know, the whatever, it's like, oh, come on now. I've seen it all before. There's there's nothing new under the sun except these amazing dancing squirrels. Look at them go. There, There is something there then. All of this, all of those elements combine to create the, 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 the entity, the, 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 the person, the sensibility that you are at a certain point in your life when nostalgia can strike. And I'm beginning to conceive of, you know, have this concept of nostalgia as, you know, it's like this, (laughs) it's like this big shark-like creature, you know, swimming around our, subconscious just looking just looking for that 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 little fish looking for that that smaller prey to feed on to latch onto that pang in us that goes oh do you remember when oh that takes me back and i suppose fundamentally what i'm arguing is that 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 area where you can be got, that area where nostalgia can sneak in or where the, the nostalgia shark can snap, <laughs> snap its jaws shut, that, that's something real. That's something real. Now, whether that's part of our, our personal evolution, our emergence from childhood into early adulthood, because arguably a lot of our nostalgia drifts back to that time. Um, although from a popular culture point of view, you know, there's always there's that 
endless recycling of the old. Um, so there's, you know, you, you'll have the seventies fashion sort of became popular again in the nineties, for example. Um, and then the eighties came back and, you know, things get recycled and you're looking at people 20, 30, 40 years younger than you being agog at fashions that, that, that were popular or that you possibly rejected, you know, when they came out first. Um, and that, that is, that's something else as well. Now, I don't know if that's just a byproduct of, um, consumerism, of commercialism, of, you know, marketing, advertising of them tapping into that. I mean, certainly if you watch, if you watched, uh, the brilliant series Mad Men, I mean, the parts of Mad Men that I enjoyed, I mean, apart from being immersed in the sixties and, you know, immersed in um, that section of New York uh, where all the ad agencies were. What, where was it again? Madison Avenue, was it? Um, but anyway, like all that stuff was cool. The style, the fashion, the music, the, you know, the, the way it was all set up, that world that was created so successfully and stylishly and immersively um, and the way we were invited to sort of you know, cock an eyebrow and laugh in that kind of arch way and go, oh, wow, look at the look at look at the values of that time and look at how women were treated. And there was a lot of humor in there as well as the sort of the darker edge to it. But the parts of Mad Men that I really, really enjoyed were, you know, it, it was kind of Don Don Draper's hero journey and not his crisis journey and his womanizing journey. But the hero journey of him as this kind of this genius of sort of tapping into human psychology and when he would start waxing lyrical in the, um, the consultation room at the ad agency and go, well, this is what people want. This is what people feel. And those to me were the were the magic moments of Mad Men where Don Draper, um, as played by John Hamm, would just present this beautiful sort of bit of you know psychological insight uh which was very resonant and i think spoke to us as an audience and there was something about the way john ham portrayed that character that we tapped into some of don draper's essential sadness and brokenness and his his sort of his angst and his yearning for connection and his yearning for validation and his yearning for an identity that he could value um and yeah i mean i suppose the, the entire series in a way was a nostalgia trip but nostalgia on its own is not enough again you want to tap into something that's true and uh they did that they did that successfully in in mad men i guess is what i'm saying um I think there was another point there, but it's gone. It's evaporated in, into into thin air, like a, a disappearing acorn into a squirrel's tray. Do you like that one? Uh, but I'm going to go back to this idea of the jaundiced look. And, you know, jaundiced, I think, generally we view that as a yellowing, like the, the yellowing uh, of the skin of jaundice. 
and that view is like a soured bitter look at something but it's funny it's only a little bit off from sepia now sepia somehow got mentioned in last week's episode i can't remember in what context but sepia is that the sort of the, the brown the old kind of brownish um the brownish hued photographs and i'm thinking of the waltons for some reason <laughs> the waltons that's right waltons the waltons um that american tv show from i guess the 70s right and featuring was it ralph Waite as the the patriarch of that sort of mountainous family and john boy walton was the aspiring writer i mean my friends and i if i was having a, if i was staying over at a friend's house the lights would go out and we'd be saying can i john boy thinking we were hilarious but like there was a tv show tailor-made to tap into nostalgia arguably happy days was as well so nostalgia sells there's there's something in that as well um but yeah i don't know look it's been a it's been an hour i think it's that's plenty i'm not sure how coherent how coherent how coherent this has been but uh, i've tried i've tried to thread the needle once again and hopefully the connective tissue has has been useful maybe you've used it to to blow your nose or to wipe to 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 dab the tears from your eyes as you reflect on your golden childhood um and perhaps i'll be doing something like that in the future when i look back and remember the squirrels oh i remember a time when squirrels would dance in the garden not a care in the world you could see them skittering across the, the the blades of grass. Oh, they were beautiful, beautiful. Takes me back, takes me back. The squirrels. There you go. One final thought. One final thought. I meant to mention it earlier when I was talking about the Hollywoodification of autism. The absolute low was the accountant from a few years ago, which somehow turned Ben Affleck's autistic central character into a virtual super soldier so his autism made him you know this skilled uh you know lethal hand-to-hand combat martial artist as well as a lethal uh marksman assassin as well as an unbelievable accountant and you know you know people are good at maths in hollywood because none of them none of them use copy books None of them just do their maths on a tablet or a a laptop or a computer. They always have to do their maths writ large. Uh, I mean, in Goodwill Hunting, of course, it was on the board in the in the the lecture hall, the classroom. In the accountant, he has to do his calculations on the glass walls of office partitions. So then we know, wow, this guy must be good. He's using a glass wall to do his calculations. So there you go, autism. It'll help you write on walls. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you got something out of this. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it was a bit rambly. I think I had a bit of a bit of a sugar low there. Um, you can support this podcast using the supporter link wherever you're listening to it. You'll find that in the information about the episode. Uh, you can also make a regular contribution if you so desire using the patreon link 
So that's uh, patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And also in the information, you will now find some different social media links for a Facebook page and for Instagram and for Twitter. And there is also an email there as well. The clear out live at gmail.com. So if you feel like sending an email, putting some comments up on social media, some responses, that would all be very welcome. Suggested topics for discussion, etc. Um, don't be afraid to reach out with some love and some uh, some feedback. Okay, take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back soon with another episode of The Clear Out. All the best. Take care. Bye.